Welcome to Podability, the podcast for parents and families of disabled children, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity, and I'm your host, Dan White. While some children's disabilities, like cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, are visible at first glance, others, such as ADHD and autism, are not immediately apparent. And of course, many disabled children have a mix of both. Or perhaps the visibility of their condition changes as their condition develops, or they start to use assistive technology that enables them to behave differently or hide, inverted commas, their disability. Some would argue that disability ultimately sits on a spectrum with regard to how noticeable it is. Now, this isn't about comparing one parent's struggles to those of another because we are all in the same trenches together. But parenting a child with an invisible disability can throw up a different set of challenges from parenting one with a visible disability. In this episode, we ask how we can go about finding the parenting approach that fits best wherever your child sits on the visible slash invisible disability spectrum. And with me to debate this question is Adam Pearson, the well-known actor, presenter and disability rights campaigner and, dare I say, celebrity mastermind winner. And he's only told me that 450 times in the last hour. And Bobby Dove, mum to Aaron, who has multiple hidden disabilities. Bobby, I'll kick off with you if that's OK. Would it be OK to give our listeners a quick description of Aaron's conditions and explain, if OK, how they affect his daily life? Um, certainly. So Aaron's pri- um, primary diagnosis is developmental language disorder. And I suppose the easiest way of describing that would be the dyslexic version of speaking. So um, it's affecting what he hears and how he processes that within his mind and therefore what he wants to say and verbally how he would do that. Um, Just to make it more interesting, however, he has auditory processing, which means that if he is in noisy environments such as the classroom, he would really he wouldn't be able to tune into any one voice, i.e., the teacher. Um, and what that hap- and what would happen with that? The, the accumulation effect of all of that is he's working so hard to try and listen to one voice, is that he will talk about how his ears start bleeding, um, within a mainstream classroom. And then we have normal um, processing difficulties that so co- um, kind of comorbid um, with those, which is visual processing and also sensory processing disorder, which I think many parents will identify with as soon as I say that. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I can really go along with with the sensory overload. I mean, you think about how shops are these days. They're just a, a cornucopia of sounds and lights and chat and everything, as if society is, is, is desperately trying to get louder. It's it's perpetually so frustrating. And I can totally see his point of view. It's the same with my daughter, Emily, um, with her undiagnosed uh, which I'll talk about in a minute, but it's the same sort of scenario. Now, now, Adam, I know you've got an identical twin brother, Neil. I do. Yeah, who has the same genetic condition you have, neurofibromatosis. Did uh, I get that so, right? So, close enough. Oh, close enough. Oh, no cigar. But the condition manifests itself in more visible ways for you and more invisible Correct. ways for him. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so let's um, discuss the condition itself. It's um, characterised by the growth of non-cancerous tumours on, on nerve endings. And in the same way that electrical cables are wrapped in plastic, your nerves are wrapped in cells called Schwann cells. And the condition causes these cells to grow exponentially. And so I've got a lot of tumours on my on my face and upper body. I've got one on my hand. And I don't know why I'm showing you on a podcast. And I've also got one on, on my butt that a court order sends this to be kept away. Whereas Neil has none of the, the 
visible symptoms but has short-term memory loss and epilepsy. So we're both at separate ends of the, the spectrum we're, we're discussing today. And it, it's kind of that experience, I suppose, that gives me a really good insight into what the where that kind of divide is and where the lines blur and what the assumptions, be they right or wrong, that, that people and, and institutions and structures make with regards to the invisible, visible disability landscape. Gotcha, gotcha. But uh, for me, I, I, I knew he had the memory loss, but I didn't know epilepsy was a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really? Well, they think it's a part of it. Okay. It's such a rare thing, and there's not enough research being pumped in. And I think the problem is a lot of medical experts, in, in air quotes, are very non-committal when it comes to giving a diagnosis. And I think getting a diagnosis is half the battle. Exactly. No, in... you are exactly right. We're going through the same thing now. I don't know what it was like for you, Bobby, to get a diagnosis originally. Was it, was it easy? Um, was it hard? I have to say we were just ahead of that curve. So we were in the days of when you could get multidisciplinary assessments and we were really, really lucky that we had a whole team around us yeah. and we managed to get this diagnosis of um, severe speech and language disorder at three and a half and then obtaining what was then the statement wasn't too much of a battle. Having said that, I understand, like I said, we were just ahead of that curve. It's very, very different now that that landscape and that picture is very, very more difficult and challenging. Now, it's a lot more challenging. I mean, and I know, Bobby, when you're dealing with invisible disabilities in a child, the world is often short on sympathy and long on judgment. People often assume the child's behaviour as a result of bad parenting. I mean, as you said, you've had an experience in a supermarket. Have you had any more experiences so, of this? So we have a whole whole raft of experiences do you know i think people listen stories. at this minute are probably sitting down with a cup of tea and going yes i'm, I'm going to tick off and go aha yeah. aha to every single one you're about so, to say so i suppose the biggest thing was aaron at three was non-verbal you know speech is his biggest um challenge and also understanding the receptive side of language so i had to be very patient and had to be very consistent and despite me saying no um he wasn't understanding so yeah. he would cry he would scream he would shout He'd be tired, he'd be saying, look, I'm trying to communicate across, what are you not getting? And I would just have to sit there and stroke his hand or his head. And I remember after swimming one day, which is a particularly challenging environment for any child, yet alone those who've got sensory processing, um, he was really upset. And I just remember this one man coming up to me and telling me to take my brat home. <gasps> um, and I know. The second one was um, we were at the supermarket, he wanted a toy, I was like, we're not having a toy. And the best thing you can do is be consistent, ignore it. He, and again, his frustration was not a temper tantrum, it was overwhelming. He was like, I'm trying to communicate to you, mum, you know, why are you not understanding me? It was really, it was frustration led. He just didn't understand that, I did understand, but the answer is still no. And I remember some mum coming up to me and telling me, I should feel very, very ashamed of myself and that my actions were tantamount to child neglect. No way. Yeah. No way. Yes. Having speaking to a former police officer, however, who does yes. know um, the definition of Children's Act and um, what children's child neglect is, um, and my husband was with me at the time, she did get 
a, a nice sharp definition of what it is and, and my behaviour at that time was not <laughs> not that <laughs> neglectful. Isn't it amazing though because this constantly happens and just going off kilter just slightly I've got a really good friend Jenny Williams who's also a, a parent of a, of a disabled child beautiful Evie and she was she put an idea towards me the same thing about because she's seen it with children um, with, with autism with disabilities having meltdowns the supermarket perhaps yeah. parents could have a secret code word that the supermarket would know and they would shout it out and then, then someone one of the staff would be able to come over and I thought that'd be a quite interesting thing to do I mean I don't know if it'd ever take off but I thought Jenny you could be onto a winner there provided big establishments come I on board with this the sunflower lanyard yes is that however what then happens is um, if Aaron is particularly struggling so I think we talked about amusement parks fairgrounds attractions is, is you know nice busy, loud places yes busy hubbub of things lots of waiting around lots of people around him so you know they're touching him he can smell things he can hear things it's all just too much and it's all well and good having a sunflower lanyard but then everyone wants to tell me about their autistic child. And my child is not autistic. I have, I have every yeah. sympathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, at the moment, I'm dealing with something else at the moment. And the nicest thing that someone has ever, ever done for me when Aaron was having one of these meltdowns is gone. Do you know what? My son was the same. He used to have the most awful temper tantrums. Shall I help you with your buggy and your bags and everything whilst you just deal with your child? Exactly. And that's be all you need. It is all you need, isn't it? Someone to just take their breath and think, hang on a minute. This situation may not be what it looks like, it's, which is incredible. But, um, Adam, in your experience, mm -hmm. going on what Bobby says, does the wider world find it easier to accept children with physical disabilities than those with hidden ones? I don't necessarily think it comes down to acceptance, but I think acceptance and understanding run in quite close proximity to each other. And when you see... Visual disability, kind of hearing aids, wheelchairs, guide dogs, cochlear implants. Yeah. You you understand it. You can compute that yes. in in your own head. Whereas the less visual things like behavioural, people are because it's not as visual. People are less well versed to it, and we're quite a visual society, quite a visual species. So I, I don't think there's, of course, there's judgment, but I, I think. A lot of the time it's coming from a place of just lack of awareness or understanding. Gotcha. Than, than kind of outright outright malice. Gotcha. And it's a learning by, by doing. Um, even listening to you talk about environments that are kind of loud with a lot of lights and a lot of things going on. Me and a, a good friend run an arcade in, in Croydon. Like when the Chocadero in London shut down, we lowballed them and just bought everything and moved it elsewhere. And now we're in Croydon, we run these SEN nights where we intentionally put the machines at 20% volume, anything with flashing lights, loses flashing lights. You have like a quiet room where people can go and just decompress or if someone does kick off their summer for them to go and just have have that moment of madness that, that they they need. Because the worst thing you can do is try and resist it and stop it happening. Yes. Because then it all gets bottled up like yes. a champagne bottle yeah and you can only bottle so much pressure up yeah before it explodes and yeah and does exactly. more Minimize collateral the damage yeah than than otherwise would and even as i'm kind of explaining this to kind of staff in, in the shopping center and who work at the place slowly the realization starts to dawn yeah that maybe a lot of the children that were coming beforehand anyway who we'd maybe label as difficult or just kind of crap kids might have a reason for their 
their behaviour yeah. that we may not have been helping yes. or accommodating. Yes. And so I think it's a, a circle where we can't accommodate until we're made aware. And unless we're made aware, we can't accommodate. And so I think kind of communication and understanding and, and above all else, compassion. I think we've become a very incompassionate society over the the past three years. I think you're right. I, I, think, I, yeah. I, I don't know what's what's caused no. it. I don't know who voted that we should be in, in compassion. I think we're very, a very patient society, but I think compassion is in is in short supply. And I yeah. think disability is often the easiest thing to scapegoat. Yes, yeah. I, mean... I find it, sorry, really quickly, I find it really interesting when you talk about compassion, because there are people who's out there who want to try, but they do the same things you would with someone who's perhaps from another country. They shout at my child, he's not... Or speak really <laughs> or slowly. Speak, yeah, absolutely. And you're just like... Okay. Um, it happens to me. Yeah. All, and I, 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 I play up to it, because I'm like, okay, I'm a stand-up comedian, let's have some... Sometimes I'm like, how, how are you, buddy? I need to get laid, and then and then just this awkwardness fills the room, <laughs> and we all carry on with our with our day. I've got a friend who's um, our friend's Molly. She lives in America. She's she's blind. She's a disability campaigner. When she talks to people, people tend to talk to her dog Gallop yes. instead of her. Yeah. And I'm like, just put a speaker on Gallop. Just hide it in his collar, and have someone hide and make him. Or those new comedy masks that they use that they strap around people's faces and you've got the little thing you can press and the jaw opens. Put one of those on the dog. Yes. Yes. But, yeah, you're right. Society's really strange like that, seeing a differential between both. I mean, Emily, you know Emily, Adam. I love Emily. Emily, yeah. She, she loves your magic tricks. But, yeah, she not only uses a wheelchair, but she's got a PDA, Pathological Demand Avoidance Syndrome, which is a hidden autistic condition. And we found it's been a real struggle just to get a clear diagnosis. And with that because I'm such a geek, I like to use my UFO analogy. If you can see it, you believe it, but if you don't, you aren't convinced. Uh, Bobby, have you found that it takes longer for a child with a hidden condition to be taken seriously and get a diagnosis? I mean, I know you touched on that previously, yes. but could you embellish that a bit more for me? Um, absolutely. I think particularly in this um, current climate whereby diagnosis appears to equal provision yeah it's really really challenging getting that diagnosis and you are fighting a system you are swimming uphill um have i seen yes absolutely my my niece is very similar to my um to aaron to my son in fact you can draw a really strong correlation um there are no mdas anymore she has been sent off um without an ados or anything else to for an autism um, panel who won't have ever observed her, who would just be on the observations of a paediatrician in a sort of stark white room for 30 minutes. Um, it's, it is a challenge and I think the dangerous parents are so desperate for some help. Yes. And getting that diagnosis, they will cling on to anything because they think absolutely we've got it, but there is a danger, I think at the moment, that getting the wrong diagnosis is equally as unhelpful as getting no diagnosis. But um, what was the original question? I don't oh, think I've answered it. 
No, 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 that's fine. I think, you, I think you're doing really, really well. I mean, I can see the pure passion of what you're talking about coming out from what you're saying, mm. which is which is absolutely brilliant. I can, I can see what you, you're really trying to get across. I mean, um, with, with with the PDA, the fact is we some parents say, or some a lot of specialists saying, you know, you can't give your child labels. But if we don't, we don't get that label, we cannot get the right education no. package in place and for Emily. Exactly. And how many parents have to go to parenting courses, oh. have to attend all the school, like parenting clubs first, yeah. have to have someone say, well, how about, have you tried X, Y, and Z? These parents, when they've come to you for a diagnosis, are on their knees. Yeah. There is no doubt about it. They have tried every single option that is available to them before they knock on that door and they are tired, they are exhausted, and they want help and they want compassion. And for some, they find that's when the fight starts. And they know in their heart of hearts, their child's diagnosis, they are the expert, they yeah. are the parent. Yeah. Um, but you're right, absolutely, at the moment, getting a diagnosis is impossible. Without that diagnosis, you've got no provision, you've got no support. And that child and that family, let's not forget the family, are just left languishing. Exactly. Don't, yeah, always don't forget the family. I mean, Adam, do, do you think getting a diagnosis actually makes a child's life any easier? Or does it create a further stigma? What's your experience been, I mean, between you and Neil? Yeah, no, my experience has been it made life easier. I think it's important that we know, or that I certainly knew the devil I was dealing with. Because then once you become the, the master of your condition, you then can start working around it and, and putting things in place. And I, I don't want to sit in, in rooms in hospitals and have doctors and medical professionals who don't know me from any other person in that waiting room, what I can and can't do, what I should and shouldn't be doing, and how my life is expected to be yeah. based on a, a diagnosis. I think, it's, I think it can be a very empowering thing, and I would encourage any, anyone to be the master of their condition and know as much about it as, as you can. Because, as, as you said, um, I'm, when it comes to NF, I'm, I'm the expert in most rooms. Yeah. Even in a conference about the condition, consider me the expert in this room. Absolutely. Because all that research you'll be, you've been presenting all morning, I'm living it. Yeah. I So at the risk of making it sound like a competition, which it isn't, um, I win. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's the same with most parents. Written across the front of Emily's notes at hospital is the other words, listen to mum after we've oh. continually, continually tried to suggest things and it's never happened. Eventually we were proved right. <laughs> Listen to mum written across. But Bobby, have you ever felt that you had to prove that Aaron was special needs enough to oh, a stranger okay. in order to justify, say oh. for instance, using a disabled parking space, I don't know if you have a blue badge or not, or even using the accessible toilets. I mean, I know we, we've had a few tuts when we come out of a disabled toilet and things like that. This is before Emily was using a wheelchair. Yes, so um, I suppose Aaron is a young, good-looking, I'm a little bit biased here, but athletic child, but all intents and purposes. Takes after Dad, then. <laughs> yes, more hair. Sorry, Dad sat in the corner, really buff with his six-pack. Yes. And, um, and that's where the fantasy ends. But... Um, <laughs> but but um, you're absolutely right. And do you know what? The biggest challenge has actually been um, with schools. Is my child disabled enough to not 
sit within a mainstream provision. Yeah. And then that's our biggest challenge. But you're right, absolutely. Um, we had to, we were um, on our first day on holiday, the waiting around, the heat, the, the people touching him um, was so much for, for my son. And, you know, the anticipation of going on holiday and everything else, the anxiety had built and built and built and built. Um, that in the end, we went to um, guest services and said, I think we need a pass for our child because just seeing him struggle here um, is breaking my heart. Yes. And I don't think I can do this for the next 20 yes. days. Um, but then you get the tuts and the judgments and well, what have they got that I haven't got? And, um, and you know, you just think, okay, there are perks. You, we went on Flight of Pandora and Disney more times than probably anyone else. But the, what, the perks do not outweigh those everyday struggles. No. The everyday struggles of getting them to wear a T-shirt that you need them to wear that day. The everyday struggles of trying to put on a new pair of shoes or get them to eat a new food. Yes. So um, I think just people not judging yeah. would be really, really nice. Because actually they don't miss out as a result of my child having something they don't have. They're just making it right. They're making it a level platform. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, and there's this kind of militant misconception that by giving um, disabled people more rights, you somehow have to take away rights from, from everyone else. From yeah. everyone else, which isn't it's the case at all. It's not a mathematical equation of, of subtraction. No, it's not. No, no, no. People, people get it confused with like an economic efficiency model. Yeah, exactly. Model yeah. When it when it really really isn't. No, it's not. It's kind of if if I'm nicer to you right now, it doesn't mean I have to start smacking Bobby by 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 default. That's not how kind of compassion and inclusivity work. They're no. not an economic model at all. They're a social structure. And I think we should treat them as such. I had people when I went to Disney when I was young, I got the old disabled pass. I got it at Universal as well. And they were just like rolling their eyes at you in the line and talking about it. And I just said, well, you talk about it in the queue and I'll think about what you're talking about while I'm on the ride. And then I will spend the rest of my day not giving up to what you, what you think. I was a gobby 12-year-old. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, that statement's also true if you take it. out the word you know, 12-year-old. I can't see you being gobby at all. You're so softly spoken and quiet. You <laughs> really are. Hashtag humility. Yeah, and exactly. do you know what? That's the biggest tool for any one of our children, self-advocacy. Yes. No, and it I, is. That's a whole other podcast I know. But self-advocacy and self-belief um, is the biggest thing we can give our children. We want them to be happy and healthy, and that's I think that's the key to it. It is. And, and also talk about people's attitudes. Adam, what were the different impacts of you and your brother's disabilities on your educational <coughs> journeys in your school life? How was it for the um, pair of it? Did you go to the same school? Yeah, we, we, we went to the same primary and secondary school. Yeah. And then when it came to college, I went. we both went our, our separate ways. And we, we were always kept in different classes. Um, one of my biggest bugbears is when people refer to twins as the twins. Yeah. And it's just like, I got, we got bloody names. If we could use them, that'd, that'd be great. It took ages to think of them because they were just expecting one. And I often say that to Neil because I'm the oldest. Whenever we get into an argument, I'm like, ah, they wanted me. And then that shoots it all down really, really quickly. <laughs> Adam, Adam Henry Pearson, that was decided on. And then I know I had to think of another name. And I just think they went, ah, Neil, Thomas, Pitt, whatever, don't care. Um, I think I I got bullied a lot more because my mind was so visual. And I also think because I didn't have the 
the support there. A lot of the anti-bullying policies turn out to be quite toothless, verging on yeah. on non-existent. Yeah. And you can only go and tell the teacher or just ignore it. Sticks and stones can break your bones, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Before you start to think that's not working right now. And then I was unfortunate. Well, I was always a lot smarter than the people yelling things at me. Yeah. So I'd just be kind of blowing people up in in the playground, and then I'd become and the sartorial problem. sartorial responses and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, about Emily's very much following you in that respect, and, and, and uh, uh, she's using words as weapons, you know, and, 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 words and, and are, it works are, really well. Are, yeah. are, well, words are weapons, but I also think they should be wielded with great care. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and I think there are definite lines and things I would not say in retort no, to, no, 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 to no. something. I think kind of two wrongs don't make a right. And I think if we have another kind of Lawrence Fox character to try and combat a Lawrence Fox character, I think that's just too much hatred in one in yeah. one place or too much vitriol um however well meaning yeah. in one place. Yeah. So Bobby, how was um Aaron's education been shaped by his hidden disabilities? What's school life like for him? Okay, so Aaron, like I say, thankfully we were ahead of the curve, so he was the very last person um, in our area, or the last cohort in our area, to go to a speech and language base within a mainstream school, which sounds like the panacea. It sounds like you're doing all of the mainstream stuff, you're taking the, you know, all the good bits of mainstream that you can access, but the bits that you can't access, your topics, your maths, your English, etc., you have within a speech and language base, class of five, with a speech <coughs> therapist, etc., etc., Unfortunately, what that does, it isolates them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really yeah. does. And you are walking around with an SEN label on your head. And what Aaron found was, and we were lucky because he was good at football, that we thought, that's great, it's the currency in the playground, he'll get through no matter what. What we found was, year five, year six, or so when you're like 10 and 11, um, the whole hormones are kicking in, and it's all about top dog, etc., etc. And to elevate yourself, you have to leapfrog onto someone else's back. And it's easier, unfortunately, to um, be rude and um, dismissive about someone else to elevate your own position. And Aaron was always that full guy. Yeah. He was always the thick one. And, and what really made me cross was, yes, he has processing difficulties. His IQ is immense. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And um, he did his sats. Um, and, and he, he's holding his own, despite all of these difficulties. But it's easier because they have a TA, because they have to go off and speak into, um, go to another room. Um, he's the thick one. And, and would say that to his face. Yeah, but he, he is proof that he's the complete opposite. He, that he's he, intelligent, he's smart, and he's savvy. And he's probably very focused, isn't he? he? Very he's, focused. Yeah, he's... he's, he's um, oh, gosh. He is perfect, yeah. and um, and I'd say that because um, not as a parent, but as the number of people, including teachers, that have said to me, he's just absolutely ideal. He's perfect. Well, I get I get the impression he's perfect just by what you're talking about him. In fact, I'd very much like to meet him. I mean, he, I mean, all our children, like I keep saying, regardless of ability, should and are great little people. And if we can get the education in place at early stages around both of these things hidden. And, and visible disabilities, and perhaps the world might be, the playground might be a bit of a, a, a better place. But Adam, I know you've been involved in programmes to prevent bullying, yeah. and you'll know 
that disabled children are three times more likely to be bullied than non-disabled children. What, in your opinion, should schools be doing to create a culture of tolerance and acceptance if they can? I think we need to take a zero-tolerance approach to bullying. I loathe the fact that we call it bullying because if we took the exact same thing and took it out of the school playground and put it in the workplace, yeah. it would be workplace harassment and True. it would be a dismissible offence. Whereas when it happens in a playground with children, we sit there and go, oh, don't do that again. You you sit there and you, you think about what you just did. And the truth is they thought about it before they did it and while they were doing it because kids are shady like like that. And so I think a real culture of accountability needs to needs to come into play, both holding pupils to account for their actions, but also schools to account for anti-bullying policies and... Yeah. and, and, and the, there's a lot to be said for the fine art of getting oneself together. And I think schools need to need to practice that art. And it's the higher, in my experience, the higher up the education system you go, the easier it is to make change, the better equipped they are to deal with difference when it really should be the other way around. Yeah, no, I, exactly. ideally. No, exactly. I mean, I mean, parents like myself, I mean, and and like Bobby, we don't want to constantly hear our children coming home in tears because of something someone's constantly said to them. I mean, we're we're really lucky with Emily's school because it is mainstream and it's 20% uh, physical and disabilities and it's a template. It's, it's absolutely wonderful and we're so lucky that she's there. So she comes home buzzing. But yeah, in, in the face of education across the country, I think what you're saying absolutely has to be action. It's got to be zero tolerance because there is no other way to do it. I think this, um, it's not just about the bullying, it's the anxiety that leads to it. That creates, yeah, and that yeah, it creates. yeah. And I have to say, there was something my sister said to me, and she said, I don't know how you do it. And I said, no, do you know what? I don't know how he does it. Every single day, when he w stepped out of that car and said, bye, Mum, put his backpack on his on his back, and off he went. I don't know how he did it. I think I know I how think he does it. complete bravery. I think, I, I think I know how he does it. I think he does it because of the parents, because of you two. Because you find parents of children with disabilities, we absolutely love the very stardust our children are made of, and we 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 will do anything, and we instill confidence in them, and, and and they they feel that love and that confidence. So what you and your husband are doing has manifested itself in his personality. It's absolutely true. It is absolutely true, that, and that's what's making him the determined young man he is, coping with everything that's going on around him. But I I, I think. I think you should be proud, and the parents listening to this should also be proud also of the children because you are all doing such a good job and under extraordinary social circumstances. You're guiding your children in a world that's not actually built for them, but you're putting them into it and you're giving them that little extra to make them cope. And that's what I'm so proud of this whole community. I agree. Yeah. I, would be, I would be a shell of a man I am if it wasn't for my parents. I know. I mean, what you've achieved is incredible. I mean, I've done all right. Like, you've done, done all right. Yeah, done all right. Yeah, <laughs> done all right. Even though you're only, what, the second best dressed man in this room, but won't talk about that. Anyway, social settings, Adam. Uh, what about social settings? What are the different challenges that children with visible and invisible disabilities face? What are the common factors, do you think? Are there common factors? I, I think social settings all comes down to, and it's the buzzword again, accessibility. But I think it's different kinds, because whenever you hear the word accessibility, our mind jumps straight into put a ramping rate, 
But there's so much more to it than that. You need to make an environment that's convulsive of, of individuals' needs. And we, we were going to run um, this year the first ever Disability Pride event in, in Croydon. And I'm, I'm the ambassador, so I'm, I'm going around kind of looking at venues and stuff now. And everyone's going, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put a ramp in. We've got a, we've got a disabled toilet. And I'm like, do you have flashing lights? Are you going to have loud music? What's the volume going to be like? Are there earplugs behind the bar that people can take yeah. if the music is loud so they can kind of drown things out? Is it a, a designated so safe space so anywhere so that they anyone they don't can go to? Their, so they don't kind of lose their minds and... and yeah, throw, exactly. Kind of throw, mm. throw a wobbly. Kind yeah. of have you catered for the full three hundred and sixty degree narrative yeah. of disability in the UK? Because I, because it, either it's all diverse or none of it's diverse. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's no great area in the middle where we sort of have disability okay. Yeah. yeah. And toilets are the big one, aren't they? Really? No, they are. Places. Exactly. Usually, always female led. Yeah. No, they mm-hmm. are, but it's, it seems that the greater society and business and people who do these things are always basing their disability uh, knowledge around visible, aren't they? Like you said, ramp, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, ramp, we've got a few widened doorways. No, you need to think deeper and longer about this. I mean, oh, Bobby, what, what are your thoughts on that sort of thing when you said My about... Because you mentioned toilets. You, <laughs> you see, you walk in, and what's the first thing you see in here? Hair dryers. Um, sorry, hand dryers. Emily can't do them. Yeah. She absolutely can't do that. Unfortunately, we've had to lay on a a few toilet floors as you know which is just a shameful indictment of yeah. Britain today but should I accidentally knock that hand dryer her or she has an auditory overload absolutely cannot stand it it's, it's, it's awful yeah absolutely um and just just little things like we used to have convention so if someone was at a counter I don't know in a social place and you want to buy a drink people are really close up they're always hurrying you yeah. And that's a lot of pressure on people who've got processing yes. or, or whatever. They want to find the right money. They want to choose, maybe, because sometimes there's lots of choice. You can't choose what do you want, and I no. can only have one drink, because mum said I'm only allowed one, etc. So I just think we used to have the old convention where you used to stand back, you used to wait for people at the post office or whatever, do their bit. But now people are, like, pushing you along the whole time. There's tarts. There's, I think we need to have more compassion. I think Adam mentioned it earlier. Yeah, what you touched on earlier, exactly. Yeah, well, yes, I'm, yeah. I'm, from the person who's behind that bar going... I'm, I'm currently training bar staff. So we have a um, once, first one every month. It's called um, Club Soda. It's like a um, disabled kind of club night for adults with um, physical disabilities and invisible disabilities. And, I, I, and it's a cocktail bar, so we hold it in, and that's a very quick turnaround for the cocktail. So I have to go in and say to the staff, slow down. If you sell five, five, ten less drinks an hour, but these people come back, yes, count that as a win. Exactly. Yeah. Speculate count, to count accumulate. That, yeah, yeah count, count that as a win. Yeah. Because if you piss off one disabled person, everyone will know about it. But if I had a good one and let people know... Everyone's, everyone's going to go there. Disabled parents are going to be like, yeah. I can take my kids here yeah. for a good a good day out. They have the right facilities. What that looks like is different from, from venue to venue. Yeah. I think, too, I, I understand that changing places, things are really important. And I think if it's somewhere you're going to be for a prolonged period of time, i.e. more than four hours, I think, like, sports arenas, absolutely, shopping centres, absolutely... I do have a thing to ask a small independently run cafe where you're going to be for one quick coffee. I think for them, putting a hoist and stuff in 
is an unreasonable adjustment. Mm. And I think it's all done on like a case by case yeah. thing. Yeah. Sometimes just if you're not gonna put the hoist in, but just to have a low level area where they are not laying on the floor. Oh completely. Yeah, it doesn't agree. have to be impossible. It no. just has to be thought of. The the biggest challenge at the moment that we are now facing with my son is that verification bit at the bottom, so you have to type in the characters you can see, but they're all squiggly and squirrely and they've got shadows. Oh, I am not a robot. I am not a robot. Yeah. Oh my they, they, word. they are slowly changing those to a grid of pit, like nine pictures, and oh, it just says click the on the ones in the traffic light. Yeah. Yes. Those, those are infinitely easier because okay. it should I'm, be. It should be spot the accessible toilet. Oh, there's none in that one. None. Oh, there's none, none in that one. Because I'm partly yeah. sighted, so those like kind of words and letters yeah. and numbers things on there going. Is that is that an N or an M or is that an I with a V yeah. pushed up right next to it? What the oh, hell no. is oh, going no. on? I I just and, and, and I and, and it's also I'm, I'm trying to buy something. Just take my money. <laughs> yeah. Why are you making it so hard? No, before you move on social settings, though, the biggest thing that our kids are not accessing are sports groups. No, they're not. So swimming, you know, we talked about earlier, it has to be a one-to-one. So instead of paying five pounds sixty-five for your three for swimming lesson, um, it was actually thirty-four pounds a lesson to do a one-to-one just to meet his needs. Um, things like we were really lucky; the only group that he could access was actually a football group, but that was the only thing he had at age five, teamwork-wise. There was nothing else after school that he could do. Well, funny enough, that's touching on what I'm saying because obviously. Variety, the charity, takes tens of thousands of children on inclusive great days out to places like the seaside, the zoo, theme parks, the circus and pantomimes, ensuring that these outings are safe and fun for children, however visible their disability, obviously. But as a parent, how do you find, like you said, the places to go to on outings that will keep your children safe and yet challenge them? Do, how easy do you find it when you get... I mean, do you it's look not, online? It's, it's, it's preparation, isn't it? Yeah. So my son's just gone on a ski trip. I don't know with the inspe- um, instructors over there. He's never skied before. Again, to have an accent, um, will he understand them? What they'll use visual stuff rather than actually showing him. If yeah. they show him, they might have their back to him, so he's not going to hear all of that. Yeah. Um, and of course, now you're not allowed to put hands on. So his cricket instructor in the end was just so fed up with telling Aaron how to do something. He just went, right, your hand goes here, your back goes there, this is what you need to do. Yeah. It's like, brilliant, that's all I needed. Yeah. Um, so, what's going to say? So, do you think there's an element yeah, of fear so, so, of getting it wrong that stops us from getting it right? No, I guess he just, just doesn't understand. So it's a series of instructions. Um, oh, not, not Aaron, um, sorry. Sorry, for preparation. So yeah, he yeah. can get the most out of it, I think. That's the problem. So I mm-hmm. had, I paid for... 10 skiing lessons at a local, local dry ski slope place. Nice. So, A, he could get used to the clothing. Mm-hmm. He could get used to the boots they need to wear. He can get used to what he needs to do, how to do it without the pressure of everyone watching him. Um, and that, again, had to be one-on-one. What the instructor, he was amazing. I have to say big shout-out to the instructor. He realised that if Aaron's not getting it, that's a reflection not on Aaron, but on how Willis did delivering it yes and it was incredible yeah. and in the end he was using hard leg soft leg didn't mean anything to Aaron it was marshmallow teddy bear pillow leg and he had his degrees of how hard he was going to go into uh, whatever but I think for parents we have to over prepare if we want to do anything it takes us 
I mean, just Googling stuff, showing them pictures of stuff, even going to the supermarket, what yes, we're going to buy. Yeah. We're going to buy this, and here are the pictures of... It's like we're drawing up battle plans, essentially, isn't it? It is literally like we're drawing up battle plans, and I mean, I mean, it, okay, then cut to the chase. Firstly, you, Adam, if you could give parents of the same, of children with disabilities, however visible they are, one essential piece of advice, what would it be? Have very high expectations yeah. of your children. It can be very easy um, to let them just get by and cut them some slack because of things that may be going on at school or from outside sources. My parents always had very high expectations of me. Yeah. And they were like, you've got to be, that's great. We both know you can get an A. Yeah. Not this else. <laughs> and knuckle down. Yeah. And so, yeah, have an acute understanding of what your child's capabilities are and hold them to those capabilities. That's beautiful. And expect, expect to want the best for them. And that way, they'll know what they can do and what their value is yeah. in the world, world around them. Yeah, exactly. We, we give people we give what the they same can thing do, to Emily. Not yeah. what they can't. Yes, they exactly. Can't do. Yeah, exactly. We, we like Bobby and her husband, and like probably everyone listening, are great and is still in confidence in their children. We do the same to Emily. You know, I mean, you, you do what you want to do and, and you will excel because you're brilliant but Bobby what are your thoughts on that if you could give one piece of advice for parents of children with disabilities like I said however visible what's your one piece of advice you could give um, you have to be prepared to put yourself out of your comfort zone you're going to put yourself in situations that you normally wouldn't do for yourself so that you can be your child's advocate he will have one or she will have one person in their life that will fight that corner and it will be the expert and that will be the parent. Yeah, I expect every single parent listening is nodding. Absolutely not, because we are, we are a fantastic breed. I mean, yourself, uh, people listening, Adam, your mum, everyone. I mean, even dear John. Dear John sounds like a sad letter. Dear John <laughs> sat in the corner over there. Yeah, but we are. We all do the very best for our children and, and I think it shows. It's tiring, but it shows. I mean, fighting for physical... And invisible. I mean, it's it's just so so tiring. So advice is everything. I mean, Bobby, what key bit of advice or support did you receive that made a difference to you, though? Really? Or did you discover it all yourself, or did you make your own way? Do you think? Um. Yeah. I mean, I we had our diagnosis nearly ten years ago before the advent of social media and, and I'd never heard of speech and language disorders or anything else like that. You know, you'd heard of autism and that was your benchmark and where did Aaron fit in and amongst around that. Never heard of processing difficulties. What I would say now, however, is there will be one Facebook group that you'll go to Facebook group where every single parent just gets it. Yes. And I just remember having gone through tribunal trying to find an education placement that's suitable for Aaron, I remember writing on there to everybody who was going through what we're going through at the time, thank you, but I didn't do this alone. I had an army of SEND parents behind me going, by the way, just watch out for this pothole or watch out for this pitfall there. This is what you need to get. Um, find that Facebook group where they are helpful, they are supportive, um, they are encouraging and they are empowering. That is true. I mean, we met through the advent of social media, didn't we? And I must admit, 
Facebook and stuff like that, some of the groups have been involved with, it's, it's parent power. It's parent carer power. And, and it is a phenomenal thing. I mean, hopefully people listening will be the same thing. It's something so to be proud of that we're doing all this when we're trying to juggle so much else. I mean, even if your child has a physical or an invisible disability, we're all pushing for the same thing, which is total, total and utter acceptance of both conditions and for society to really open its hearts and minds and just take a breath, take a pause and investigate both. But I, I, that's brilliant, both of you. Thank you both so much, Adam and Bobby, for joining me today. That's absolutely brilliant. And, and dear John in the corner... Thank you for listening to this episode of Podability, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity. If you've liked what you heard, please share it with your friends, and of course, why wouldn't you? You can find us on iTunes by searching for Variety Podability, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the series.